Hello and welcome to Talking You Retina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leaders from the world of retina and beyond. We'll also keep you up to date with the latest news from the society. In this podcast, we're counting down the days until the Uretina Congress in Amsterdam, our biggest meeting yet. To take you through some of the highlights, we're joined by Uretina President Alistair Laidlaw and Uretina Executive Vice President Dara Conlon. Uh, before we go into the content, um, Al, uh, I think you'll have to acknowledge it is uh, almost unfair that England have already qualified for uh, the next round of the Rugby World Cup. Totally unfair. All England had to do was lace up their boots to get through to the uh, the quarterfinals. Thank you for acknowledging that. Right, we can move on to the programme. Uh, Dara, uh, this is a real highlight, obviously, of, of the year. Tell me what's in store for this year's Congress. Yes, it really, I mean, it's it's the pinnacle of activity, really, for you, Retina. And definitely this year, there's much more of a feeling of being back to where we were pre-COVID. And certainly numbers-wise, we are very much there Numbers are amazing, aren't they? Um, Absolutely. Completely. We're really delighted because last year in Hamburg, it was a little bit lower. I think people were still dipping their toe in the water again. We've maintained the hybrid format because, well, for for a couple of reasons, um, I think we'll probably always be hybrid. And in my view, if we're to commit to sustainability in any way, I think that's something that you have to, to make available. Um, yeah, the, the sustainability issue is obviously really important, but there's always going to be people who can't travel, family commitments, work commitments, and so on. And making making the conference available as a live event to them to attend from their own home is a really good option that, that COVID allowed us to develop. Absolutely. And it's interesting to see in terms of our numbers this year, 90% of the delegates are choosing to come face to face. So right now we have over 5,000 who will be there in person. So it's definitely, we're definitely back to that being the preference again, because there is a lot that you just can't cover and facilitate in virtual. But I think going forward, it just is how we have to do, do things. We have to make it available as a, as a hybrid format. Yeah, the other thing is that I think we've got less than 1% of the speakers online. Correct. And that is something that was quite important to us from an organizational perspective. You know, you really don't want to put in all the effort of traveling to Amsterdam to sit in a room watching speakers on screens. So we we were quite strong in our encouragement that speakers be there in person. So I think we have about 650 there in person and only five, four or five who are virtual. And just on that, I suppose one of the things that you've been really focused on over the last couple of years is really trying to find a baseline and improve on it when it comes to sustainability in general for the Congress. Yes, we started measuring the event last year, the carbon output of the event so that we can improve it year on year. We reduce production as much as we can with the event itself, reducing signage, printing, repurposing what we can. That includes, you know, a lot of our sets and even our carpets. Catering is also a big one. So we do two meat free days, no red meat at any of our formal, any of the events that we hold ourselves, reducing plastic. And then with with the catering as well, we have a charity facility to deal with the leftovers. So we reduce production really as much as we can. Obviously, the, the big challenge is travel. That's where 
you see the, the kind of massive impact on our, our carbon output. So I'm coming by train. Exactly. Look, the Congress will generally always happen around mainland Europe for that reason, so that train is possible. We won't be seeing one in Ireland, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's about encouraging people to travel by train where where they can, and you know the virtual element being available too. That that's something that we will just commit to keeping for sustainability purposes. Also, we've obviously focused on the Euretna Innovation Spotlight in a previous podcast. If you haven't heard it, listen back and you'll have a really good idea of what it's about. But this is a quite an exciting addition, Dara, because there's a huge amount of interest in it. Yes, we have been overwhelmed, actually. We've had to completely reformat the staging of the event because we we now have 600 registered for it, which has completely exceeded our expectations. Um, It's a packed program. It takes place the day before the Congress. Quick fire presentations across five sessions and also a focus on panel discussion. So that probably is the USP to see, you know, we have a lot of um, KOLs from the industry, but actually getting them in, in maybe a more relaxed panel format. And of course, there'll be the networking opportunities that then go with it throughout the day that allows for a little bit more interaction. The, the main difference certainly I've experienced in the organization of it is that within the Congress, our content is very, has a very clinical focus, whereas for the innovation spotlight, it's it's obviously a very different filter and you're more directly connected to the innovations that are taking place within the industry. Most of what we try to put out in the main meeting is evidence-based practice, high quality clinical practice. What we've got here is the chance to have an interaction between clinicians who know the need um, and industry who want to develop the need in an interactive fashion to work out what's coming next, what we want people to work on, in order to improve things so that maybe then that can turn that uh, industrial innovation can then turn into quality improvement in clinical care. Alongside the Innovation Day, there are also a number of other additions to the program, including a new award. That's right. This year, we're introducing the August Deutmann Award that takes place during our opening ceremony on the Thursday. There are a series of awards of excellence in education, and they've been named after our Euretina founding president, Professor August Deutmann, who will be in attendance on the day. It will basically recognize the highest achievers um, across our free papers, posters, videos, and also the EBO exam, which probably brings us to our next point of interest. Yes, the EBO exam. This is the first year as well for it. It is the first year. And actually, as I recall, Al, when I listened to your podcast talking about your plans for your presidency, the EBO exam, delivering the EBO exam that we had talked about for years was your primary goal. So it must be a great sense of achievement now to actually see it happen. Uh, It is, but I think all credit's needed. Um, It is following on a lot of people who laid the ground. And then um, previous president, Frank Holtz, uh, he um, he encouraged Nicole Etta, who's um, led the process, to take that on. And I think the, the innovative step, if you like, that I had was getting the sections, creating the sections and getting them involved so we could write the exam questions. So this is very much a whole Euretina activity rather than something for which I can take the credit, alas. 
Well, I, th- I think you're being quite modest there, Alistair. But yes, it's been great to see there's been over 100 applications received. And that makes it the I think it's the highest numbers across any EBO subspecialty exam. So it's it's definitely been a welcome addition to the retina space. OK, I'll, um, let's talk about the scientific program because it's absolutely jam-packed this year, isn't it? It is. Uh, I don't know how it compares to previous years, but we've got 138 sessions uh, in 10 parallel rooms going on. And then on top of that, you can learn an awful lot in the industry exhibition, perhaps in a less um, less evidence-based uh, independent way, but a lot of useful information there. There's 650 speakers, uh, as we said before, and he, uh, only five are having to do it online. So hopefully a great buzz. Mm. The other thing that, you know, blowing our trumpet, of course, um, really, we've got something for everyone. We've got all the different uh, groups. We've got these six um, sort of subspecialties that we we um, we cater for, VR, AMD, diabetes and vascular, uveitis, inherited disease and pediatrics and tumors. So, you know, whatever your interest in retina, there's um, there's something there for you. Um, and also, we've got the range of stuff from basic instructional courses like how does a vitrectomy machine work, for example, right through to really quite complex high-level stuff, which really is only designed to attract the experts in a field to get them in the same room debating and, and working with each other. So I hope there's something for everyone. If you want, you can just sit in the main hall um, and go to the Uretina main sessions. Um, and that's a great introduction uh, to the whole thing. You don't have to look at the program. We've got some superb guest lecturers. Two of my medical career mentors are speaking. Um, Bertel D'Amato, whilst he does tumours, he's just an amazing speaker, but a really inspiring guy. You just can't find anyone who doesn't speak positively about him and his lifetime um, influence on our field. Um, and then Cindy Toth, in, in Game of Thrones terms, she is the queen in the West. Um, really one of the huge figures uh, in vitreo retinal surgery. Again, universally popular. Her innovation um, has been amazing. But also, you know, if we go back to the days of translocation, she took an idea and worked it through with Klaus Eckhart, um, how to apply an idea, do the hard graft, and actually made that for a while. It was the option we had for bad AMD. She's just the most amazing, innovative scientist and fantastic to listen to. You can also nerd out a bit on new gear as well, can't you, Alistair, if you are so inclined? Yeah, we've got two things there. Firstly, um, the Innovation Spotlight session. We're going to have the chance to talk to industry about the stuff that's not yet available. We've got these two new sessions in there, one in VR and one in imaging, where we're actually looking at what's new Uh, exciting or unique that the industry have got available to us. So stuff that's available right now, why it's good, why it might fit into our practice, why it might improve the quality of care that we're able to offer right now. And what we're doing is two different 15-minute slots, one for VR, one for imaging. They're attached to the main symposia um, in the main hall. Uh, And what we're going to have is clinicians uh, reviewing what's new, exciting, and unique Uh, in that space and trying to, as I said, put that in the context of how that might help us in our day-to-day practice right now, rather than what we might hope for in 10 years' time. Amazing. Um, 
The exhibition, of course, is a major highlight for people as well to walk the aisles and see what's going on in the industry. Absolutely. The other thing about the exhibition is you get the chance to interact with the, the exhibitors, talk to their talk to them about their kit, but it's also the place we get to have a lot of that informal downtime interaction with your colleagues. So you meet people there, you have a quick chat, you actually discuss the problems you're having, why things are good, why things are bad, share a lot of uh, adverse experience that we all have at work all the time. So the, the commercial exhibition space is a great networking area, as well as providing an interaction uh, with industry, the equipment we've got, the equipment that we're not using as well as we might be able to, because it's a chance to talk to the, the representatives about the best way to make the use of the kit that we've got and also target the kit that we might want uh, to be thinking about for future years. I suppose that's a, a great way to socialize in a more well-behaved manner. But the, the party is the highlight uh, for some. And last year, I know, um, certainly uh, took off in a major way by the sounds of it. What's going on this year? And are you looking forward to it? Well, I'm looking forward to it. It was one of the big surprises of my whole year last year was descending into the bowels of a ship in Hamburg and finding <laughs> around a thousand highly enthusiastic, shall we say, young ophthalmologists, and then a few real old greybeards like me in suits in the middle of the dance floor. Uh, what a what a hit! Didn't make Sunday morning too good. Again, this year, I believe it's in a big, well-known Amsterdam nightclub space. If you haven't got a ticket, buy one somehow. Beg, steal, borrow, get there. Yeah, and actually a little uh, insider for uh, our faithful podcast listeners, there will be some made available at the Congress. So it is sold out, but there will be some available at the Congress. Um, finally, Al, you've had two years, very busy in, in lots of different ways, but a huge amount of achievements. It's it's a lot of work, but also a great privilege to be president of Uretina. Can I ask you how you feel about handing over the reins to Ramin this year? So I've got to be really careful about how I answer that because Dara, the executive vice president, without whom the world does not go round, is on this podcast. Um, look, it'll be great to hand over to Ramin. He's got huge amounts of energy. Uh, he's got a load of ideas. Ramin and I have always agreed uh, on the path that Uretina should be taking. So it'll be nice to be um, not having to think about Uretina morning to night every day. And I know it's going to be in trusted and very safe hands uh, going forward. But yeah, it's been a real privilege and an honor. And I've loved working with the people involved. Well, Alistair, to issue some praise back to you, I must say it's been a fabulous couple of years working with you, but I think it has been two of my busiest years in the position. I feel like we have implemented so much change, some by choice, some not so electively. But after, yeah, a couple of years of, of far more regular output throughout the year of, you know, we introduced the webinars, the podcasts, we ramped up our mentorship, Women in Retina. There's so much that we've done, which you've been the driving force behind. So I think you can definitely throw in the towel knowing that you've done an awful lot and um, yeah, pass over the reins now to Ramin, which I'm sure will be another, another good term. The other thing is that there's been a huge amount of work that the people turning up to the Congress hopefully will never know occurred, but there's given lots of us sleepless nights about the way that the society and the meetings should be run in the background so that the delegates turn up and have a seamless, excellent experience. 
And that's been just as much work as all the stuff that's uh, above the water. If you're talking about the duck swimming on the pond, the stuff that's above the water that everyone can see, my goodness me, the feet underneath have been <laughs> badgering away at about 50 hertz. It's all about the poker face, Al. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, Dara and Alistair, thank you so much. I hope that has whet your appetite um, because it all kicks off with the EBO exam and the Uretina Innovation Spotlight on the 4th of October. And we hope to see you there. But don't forget, if you can't make it, you can watch online. Go to uretina.org. But if you're going, safe travels. I'm Jonathan McRae, and we'll see you next time on Talking Uretina. Retina.